For most of my life, I hid my feelings, keeping sensitive issues very close. I believe this was normal because society tries to dictate how men should think, act, and feel. In this episode, we discuss times in our life that expose some very deep emotions and challenges that forced us to realize how we can learn from these times and overcome. Kelsey and I discuss three ways we can move from feelings of regret, guilt, and shame to a place of processing the hurt in order to heal. Get ready to ignite your fire. As the days get hotter and we realize summer is right around the corner, many of us have moments of reflecting on summertime memories. School is out and fun is to be had, sunshine, pool days, and all the things that summer brings. However, for us, June always starts to stir that deeper place of our hearts of what June looked like 18 years ago. Preston, can you bring us into life as you knew it 18 years ago? Yeah, I can. So 18 years ago, we had been married for less than one year. And we had found out in the previous December that my mom had cancer. And we basically watched her die from cancer between that Christmas dinner where she was not feeling comfortable and wondered what was going on to bringing her home for hospice care on Mother's Day and then ultimately um, passing on Father's Day. And, you know, that was in a time in in my life especially where I was a brand new husband and I was trying to prove myself as a man and capable of running a fire crew and it was also the same year as the Rodeo Chetiskai, which at the time was the largest fire in Arizona history. And I spent a lot of days on that fire while my mom was sick, running uh, a large regular crew from the Tonto National Forest and um, working on some qualifications and trying to, you know, basically show people that I was capable of doing what I wanted them to know I was capable of doing. And and then at night, I was going home to a family that was distraught and in angst and watching their matriarch pass away in front of them. And um, I spent lots and lots of late nights with my mom. Um, Sometimes she was awake, sometimes she wasn't. And we would have conversations and it was... It was um, it was a very it was just a hard time for me, um, you know. Not much sleep, not not a whole lot of knowing really how to deal with things because I I felt like I had to hold my family together. My dad was a mess. My sister was younger than me at the time, and she was a mess. Um, my uncle, my mom's brother. And her family had been evacuated from the fire that I had been fighting every day. And they were actually living with us at that time in my parents' house. And yet I was trying to maintain a relationship with my brand new spouse in our own house. and That we were building. And we were in the process of building a brand new house. And that uh, there was a lot going on. And, um, you know, at, at that point, go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking about how you, in that time when you were struggling through that, of facing, hiding it, 
or hearting it, you know, and how it really was that moment of dealing with so many things of, I think I heard you just say about proving your, you know, ability to run a fire crew and proving your manhood and your, your ability to do the job that was being asked of you on a day to day. Then you were asked to prove that you could be a good husband. And then you were really asked to prove that you were a good son. And so, yeah, well, let's back up. So growing up, I was taught at a very young age that you cover things up. You don't talk about your emotions. You don't talk about feelings. You just suck it up. And if something hurts, you deal with it. You tuck your lip in and, and you go to the next phase, whatever that means. And we didn't talk about, um, anything emotional that I remember ever really. So it was a real struggle for me to try to be, find a, a common ground between working, you know, 18 to 20 hour days and then spending four or five or six hours a night with my mom at home and, and then finding time in the meantime to spend quality time with you and, and then really show my emotions or hide my emotions. And really what I was doing was hiding my emotions. I was trying to be the strong guy because my dad was not doing well. My sister wasn't doing well. And my, all my relatives were there and, um, it was a struggle. So I thought I had to be the strong person of the family and hold everything together. And, um, and I did that. I I felt like I did that. But at the same time, I was very ridiculed by my family members for not showing any emotion and not crying and not being emotional and hysterical at some times like they were. And um, and I was pretty much called on the carpet for it a few times, which was really difficult considering everything else I was going through at that time. And um, and I remember I don't I don't remember exactly when it was, but I remember confiding to you and just kind of breaking down and being like, this is really hard. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to deal with it. You know, it was kind of one of those first times in my life where I had to deal with facing reality that a loved one was going to die and there was nothing I could do about it. And we had prayed and I was wondering why God wasn't answering my prayers. And I was wondering if it was you know, was he not answering my prayers because I, my faith wasn't real enough or why the, you know, we asked for miracles. We asked, my mom knew that she was going to die no matter what. They said, you can do chemo and you might live and you can, you might live a couple months extra, or you can not do chemo and not be sick every day and you're going to die anyway. So she chose not to do chemo and you know, that was a tough decision for her, for sure. And I am so thankful I got to watch her through that because she was so strong in that decision. And she just made that decision and set her face in that direction and never, never wavered at all. And looking back on it now is just so strong. But at that time, I didn't see it for that. And um, so, you know, trying to wrangle all those emotions was really difficult for me. And I really, the only ally I had was you. And I, I didn't talk to anybody at work about it because it was, uh, it was kind of my release to go to work and just work hard and act like the man that I thought I should be. And, um, you know, so ultimately 
between Mother's Day and Father's Day, uh, a pretty tough month. And I was very fortunate to be at my mother's side on June 16th, 2002, uh, a little after one o'clock in the morning and um, holding her hand when she passed. And I watched her raise her arms up like she was being embraced by Jesus in heaven. And that was a very, very powerful thing for me to witness at that point in my life. Um, and I'm super thankful that I was there for that. I wasn't asleep. Matter of fact, my <laughs> my supervisor at that time came and woke me up because I had been there and I left at 10 o'clock and, and he came at, I don't know, midnight. I think it was midnight and knocked on the door and said, whatever you do, don't shoot me. I'm coming in. I got to wake you up. And he woke me up and said, you need to come home. Your mom's dying right now. So I did. And and Kelsey was with me right there. And, and we got to witness her go to heaven that night. And I have no doubt she was in heaven right now. There's no question mm -hmm. in my mind. Mm -hmm. But having said all that, I think that was the first time in my life where I really had to put my own ambition and my own feelings off to the side and, and recognize that there's something bigger than me going on in the world and um, and just take a little time out. And unfortunately, I didn't take enough time out. I really have a lot of regrets mm -hmm. about not saying enough. I didn't go deep in my conversations with my mom, and I regret that a lot. I, I was very superficial in my conversations about what I can do for her to make her feel better. You know, um, just silly things like that. Can I get you water? Can I get you food? Can I help you do this? Can I help you do that? And really what I should have been telling her is how much I loved her and how much she was a great mother and that I was going to miss her when she was gone. And I never said that. And that is so hard. Now, even now, I still have those emotions of why didn't I just say what I should have said? Uh, but I didn't. So now I have to live with that. And ultimately, I think, you know, the the hide it really screwed me in this whole thing. I, I hid my emotions for so long and never was willing to face those emotions head on with her in my presence because I was just afraid I was going to lose my composure. And ultimately, I think she probably would have appreciated me doing that. Don't you think? 100%. Yeah, and I think it's interesting just listening to you. Every year, it's like we go deeper into layers of really discovery of how things have impacted us. And, you know, I think there was two faces of you in that situation. Although you were hiding it, there was an illusion of you being hard-ass, of you being yeah, so hard totally. and so tough that, like, your mother's death couldn't even penetrate your toughness. And there's there's this dichotomy almost in those deep struggles of life and death as we've both faced it with our mothers and, you know, not even that far apart from each other, young in that loss, but where you you want to give the illusion of you're so strong and I can face this and I'm tough and you know like my dad taught me like you know I my lost my mom in July 27th and I went back to school in August and didn't go to counseling didn't do anything it's like you you're a survivor we can make this you're strong like just keep going and so there's like this 
this hiding it, but then you feel like you're hearting it. And, and then years go back and you realize like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to heart it. I don't want to hide it. I want to face it. Mm -hmm. And I want to learn like, what can I extract from that? And I think, you know, just you even tonight, just sitting down and discussing just those reflection moments when we get back and we get to those deeper layer upon layer of going into that connection of like, why did I feel like I had a heart it, which can be good in some, some aspects, which we'll talk about, but like, why do we give the illusion of being so tough and hard? Yeah. And then, like, feeling like we're actually hiding it. And why do we hide it? Uh, because anytime we hide it, ultimately, we're going to face it. And then, like, what like what you're saying right now, just when you do ultimately face it, you have regrets. Because you're not in that moment to, to like, really address the issue. You're after the fact. And you're like, man, that sucks. Why did I hide? Yeah. Or well, why did I hard? I didn't have the capacity at the time to realize no. that I had to face it. So you it was no easier. Sleep. It was so easier for me to just say, okay, I'm going to be tough in this situation. I'm not going to deal with the emotions. I'm going to put the emotions to the side because that's how I was raised. It's easier to just shove the emotions under the carpet and this huge heap of things under the, under the carpet and ignore it and act like the man that I knew I needed to be, but at that point I still hadn't proved to myself that I was. So I thought at, at that point in my life that in order to prove that I was a man, I had to show no emotion and think of things logically and work through things. And, you know, I was the guy that made the phone call after my mom died and I set up all the funeral. You know, I was just like, this is, that's the stuff that I did at 24 four years old or whatever it was mm -hmm. um, because I was expected to do it and nobody else was willing to do it and I just accepted that role but now looking back it's like why didn't I just spend some time with my mom she just wanted me to be gentle and um, tender. and tender with her and she knew so she was much. dying I mean it was there was no doubt when she came home at hospice care that in her mind she's like okay the end is almost here I just want to be surrounded by my family and be loved. And I, not that I wasn't loving, I'm not going to say that, but I held my emotions very, very tight. Yeah. And I think too, just like as a mother, like putting myself in that situation and just encouraging as we do try and spur one another onto like learning these life lessons as we just dissect these stories is, you know, as a mother, asking your kids in that moment like what you know what do you what do you remember most about us growing up and you know what is what is something what's the greatest life lesson you learned from me like if if our kids aren't aware enough to ask those things as a mother even in those moments those hard moments of just asking those it might feel uncomfortable but what i've what i've really realized like nothing becomes less uncomfortable than it is like the longer that you leave something unsaid it gets more and more uncomfortable mm -hmm. and ultimately you come to a day where you're like I I've always known I wanted to ask this question I've always known I wanted to to connect at this level and although it was uncomfortable I wish I would have done it then because now it's even 
10 times more uncomfortable because I've been thinking about it for this long and it, that that never goes away. Your desire to connect on a deep emotional level never really goes away. Like that's the human need is to connect. Mm. But what ends up happening through life is the fear of when we do connect of looking like a fool or not knowing what to say or looking like you're misunderstood or or looking weak or looking or weak. apathetic or less than a man from a man's perspective right there you go but there you know as a 40 how old are you 43 now yeah, as a 43 year old man i think you've learned like the things that makes make you of the strongest man to me are those moments where you become vulnerable yeah, so I, I, I have nice. learned a lot of vulnerability in the last 18 years. And I, I was never, I'll right. be honest, I was well, never, never vulnerable model. before that. I had to learn that. I didn't realize that was okay. I thought I was not okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was modeled to me that it wasn't okay to ever be vulnerable. You have to be, like you said, I have to be a hard ass. That's what I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's helped us in our relationship and with our kids even and become a pillar of our home is communication and conversation that's hard. And I I love that our kids, like that's such a strength to our family is discussing hard things. Like we talk to our kids about. We don't hide anything. We don't hide anything. Like Nothing. Our kids know the struggles we have personally. They know the things that we're struggling with. I can tell you right now that most people would blush at the conversations we have with our kids because I didn't have those conversations when I was a kid. And I did. And you did. And it's vitally important to have super honest conversations with your kids about what struggles they're going to face. I mean, we have two, almost three teenagers, three of them that act like teenage boys. And they're going to face all of those emotions and desires and, you know, male functions that my parents never talked to me about. But we do. We talk about that stuff. Yeah. And And they, and it's, I think it's cool because like they've realized that they don't have to hide. That's one of the things like there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. There's nothing new. So like the things that we struggle with, although it looks different in this world with technology and how just pervasive it is and how in your face it is, like nothing new is, you know, there's nothing that we uh, don't know or don't understand that they're going through, although it can look different. But what ends up happening when we show, I mean, heck, I, I was standing in the kitchen the other day and, Garrett's girlfriend asked me, so was, were you with anybody else before Preston? Because she knows, like, we've had family conversations. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, and I told her, you know, no, I was the greatest gift I could have given my husband is to remain pure. And, and like, I encouraged her. And in that moment, because we had such, like, this open, raw communication with her, I was like, okay, this is a teachable moment. And that's what it ends up being, because when you don't hide it, then it becomes an opportunity to to share on it and to Teach. and to open up their hearts and be like, but you know what, you can talk to me anytime and I'm mm. here for you and nothing nothing's too scary for me to understand and I'm not gonna shame you for feeling this way. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is that they learn how not to hide it 
and and to face the things that are hard and so that's the other face of harding it like not just being a hard ass and being like oh i'm so tough like there's nothing that can penetrate me yeah. but being like this is really hard and this sucks and i'd really like to hear what you have to say about it and i'd really like to just go deeper in that and that's i remember that that day i remember i remember you like falling in my arms and just breaking down in tears and it was like one of the first times we were only married, so we were married for, you know, six, I don't know, a few, six. A few months. Yeah. And, I mean, although we had spent three years together prior to that, like, it was, like, our first huge challenge to mm. face with each other mm-hmm. and, and to overcome. And, like, what greater challenge is there than losing your mother? And But when I saw just that rawness of one, one of the things that attracted to me to you was your strength and how strong you were. Because I didn't have that stability growing up. And in that moment where I saw you become so human and become so just like at a different level of connection with me, it it attracted me even deeper to you because I was like, oh, like he is affected by this. And I think that's sometimes what you're saying, like in your family, that they didn't know if you were really affected by it because right. you were so hiding it or harding it or whatever. But we never really know at face value what people are really going through. And I think that's important also in this is you never really know what people are going through. They can be facing it and put it on their game face. And that's something you have to do in your firefighting role. Like you can't be an emotional bass case when you, when you have to make life or death situations. It was, you know, and I'll be honest with you. I had to be in that phase of in control of myself and my emotions at that point because mm-hmm. I was in charge of a lot of men and women on the fire line every day for lots of hours of the day. And I couldn't go Deadly home and fire. become a mess. Yeah, it was the biggest fire Arizona had ever seen. It was it was amazing. It went 19 linear map miles in one afternoon. It was awesome. It was incredible. Uh, you know, it was, it was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in the fire world. And I've been doing this for a long time. But my my point is that I, I I couldn't break character, you know. I had to maintain that that Edge. level of sanity and that level of I'm in charge and I'm in control. Otherwise, I couldn't do it during the day. I had to do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or I was going to fail. And I couldn't fail. I didn't have the opportunity to fail. I didn't have time off to just be in my emotion. So it was so hard for me in in that regard because I couldn't ever let my guard down until she died. Mm. And and then when she died it was okay. Okay. I I have a couple of days. Now I can let my guard down. Mm, you didn't even have a couple of days. You took one day off and you went back to work. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't remember, but it wasn't very long. Mhm. Um I do remember coming out up from her funeral looking at the column going, "Man, I need to be out there." Um mm. it was hard. You know, the fire was very close to our home at that point. So, um, but my my point is that I, I had to maintain my level of focus at that point. And I think that's something that first responders understand and, and military people understand where mm-hmm. if you can't maintain that focus, that's when you're going to die. That's when you're going to make mm-hmm. a bad decision. That's mm-hmm. when you're going to get somebody else. My biggest fear is getting somebody else hurt. And when you're in a place of leadership, and you make a decision that gets somebody else hurt, 
that's far worse than making a stupid decision where you get yourself hurt. Um, so I, I just could not let myself go into a place of anything but that leadership role. And it was really difficult because my mom needed me in a different role and you probably needed me in a different role and I could not allow myself to go there. And that's why Mm -hmm. my family was so critical of me. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that's what sets me apart in this world is that ability to maintain that focus when I need to maintain that focus. And, And that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Um, it's just, it's, it's not, not everybody has that. And I'm not, it's not a bragging thing because it's been hard in our relationship. Super hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, there's so many things there that you talked about of, uh, keeping your edge. And I, I remember my dad even telling me when he was in Vietnam and they would have, you know, those, that R and R opportunity to go home and you, can't go. and you just can't go because yeah. when you come back, you're, you, you've lost your focus because you go from like the do mode of surviving to you go the from feel hard mode. to soft and you can't go from hard to soft. Cause when you Although go to when soft, when everybody wants to see your soft spot, right? Uh, that's, and, that's and then your mom's at home I wanting know. to connect with your soft spot. And here's my son and I'm dying and I just want to see a soft spot in right. him. And then it's like now 18 years later, every year about this time, it's kind of like there's a regret that I wasn't soft. Yeah. And you don't know that until you have the wisdom to look yeah. back and be like, I, but at the same time, there's so you can't even, you can't judge that kid. I would say like you were 23, 24, I don't know, I don't whatever, know. something like that. Yeah. And like, you're, you're coming to the face of identity. Like there's so many inward struggles that you're facing with. There's outward struggles. And at that point of your maturity. I mean, I heard somebody tell me recently, like by the time you'll feel like your boys are out of control until like at age 25, it's almost like everything, all of a sudden they realize that they need to be a man and that they, there, there's this change of maturity at 25 or whatever it may be, but you've always been more mature. I'm not saying that, but like there's so much happening in a young man's life of trying to figure things out. And then you throw death and a young marriage and we're building a house and all these things into one and, and fire, like a huge fire that was threatening our community. And like, here's your point to prove how capable you are of putting out a fire. And yet at home we had all these other little fires and it was emotional fires versus physical fires. I mean, there was so many things that you were having to really be able to sift through. And sometimes you don't really know how to sift through it until 18 years later, 20 years later, you're like, wow, what can I take from this? And I think that's where we're at now. Like Mm -hmm. really like what you were saying tonight of just, I really want to, just sit in this and what can I take from this? I think one of the things that Mm -hmm. we take from it is moving forward. How do we hope it? So we go through the process of hiding it, hardening it. And I think too, like just to kind of close out on the harding, harding it, hard it. um, A lot of our life, we don't realize how easy it is in our American society. I love what you said the other night about a guy born in the 1900 like what did he see so by the time he was 18 years old 
World War I started. By the time he was 29 year, years old, World War II started. He had also seen the Spanish flu in 1919, which wiped out 50 million people or more. They don't even really know. From 1929 to, you know, the mid, well, no, it wasn't 1929. 1929 was the Depression, I'm sorry. And then uh, 1939 was World War II to 1946, then the Korean War, then Vietnam. By the time the guy's 85, he has seen uh, multi-millions of people die from war and from famine and from poverty and from World War One and Two and Spanish flu and all these things. And it's like, you know, no wonder the greatest... Americans were in the the World War II era because they were born around that 1900 era. When life was really hard. When it was hard. Like and we've become we have so never, you know, we've got, we're in the the microwave, spineless. super microwave era of Americans, and I have always despised that. I for whatever reason, I've always liked people that have had to struggle and mm-hmm. had to work hard and overcome. I mean, those the, the greatest stories ever are the ones where somebody had trials and they overcame them, you know? Bigger problems, better stories. Yeah. So I I guess my point in that is that everybody has trials and everybody has something to overcome. And if you can battle through and fight those good fights and, and make yourself better in the end through those struggles, then that's really ultimately what the journey's about. Getting from where we're at to somewhere better. Yeah, and I think like one of the things I've always told myself, there is nothing wrong with hard. Hard is just hard. Like hard is good. Hard, hard is, is good. what and makes you focus on like, internal things. The mindset and the perspective of hard is become something people want to run from. Like, oh, this is too hard. Like I don't like I mean, even like one of the things that we've talked about in our methodology for training instructors is not as having instructors not tell just don't think about it just don't think about it it's like no embrace this like what can like this is this is flipping hard right now like how hard is it feel it embrace the hard like what is this teaching you right now what what level of new strength have you found in yourself that you've never known before mm-hmm. like don't try and numb it and run from it and think about something else create never, a new mental space like embrace the tell suck to think about something else like no like Otherwise, if you think about something else, it's going to come back. Like, let's get, let's extract it. We're not just getting through it. Like, we're taking with us what we need from this. And so, you know, that's the other side of hard. Like, you could be a hard ass or you could let the hard soften you in respect of your heart in ways of not being um, soft to failure. Like being resolved and resilient being able i mean the strongest people have the ability to bend and not break and and flow and adjust and adapt like you know that survival although i don't agree with survival like you know darwin but the survival of the fittest is really coming from being able to be taught by it and not to break under it yeah don't succumb to hard because hard is what can form you into something that you really want to be Hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. H-A-R-D. I've always been a proponent of embrace the suck and (laughs) move on. Make it 
you know, and just Maybe it's supposed to get suck into it. Yeah, just get into a different mindset of like, okay, this sucks, but you know what? I'm okay with it. I can keep going. I can make this happen and I can carry this load. I can shoulder this pack full of heavy weights and I can carry it as long as I need to carry it. And whenever the journey at this, this specific journey is over, I'm going to set this pack down and I'm going to go, you know what? I made it a long way and I'm different now. And that's, to me, that's huge. And that's really that's what, what life is all about. about like you know? even with your mom. Like, yeah, exactly. Like in a moment, like you weren't, like, although you technically think that, or people think, and you've had those different places where you were hiding it, but you were also just doing what you had to do to heart it. And like the process of digesting it and that reviewing it and responding and reflecting, whatever time it comes, it serves its purpose. Well, like there's, and, and everybody's on a different timeline of when they reflect and they And absorb. let me be real too. I mean, <clears throat> I've been an athlete my whole life and I love team sports and team athletics. And I've always been very good at noticing when there's not a team leader. And if there's not a team leader, I'm going to step into that role. And at that point in my life, there was no team leader. Mm -hmm. There was Your no one stepping up. So I had to. I There was mm -hmm. no choice in me. I had to take that step. I had to, okay, I'm not ready for this. I'm a young guy. But I have to step into this role because so nobody else is doing it. And so I did. And, and maybe I did good. Maybe I failed. I don't know. All I know is I got a lot of grief from my family that I was not doing the right thing and that I should have been crying instead of doing what I was doing and making schedules and doing the funeral and all these other things. But really, mm -hmm. I was just playing that position that I needed to play at that mm -hmm. time until that position didn't need to be played anymore. And that's when I was okay Completely. to let go. Well, and that's what I, you know... As I sat there and watched them kind of just, I mean, it was interesting watching them from the outside. Like, this was a whole new family dynamic for me, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, we were fresh in this all, and I wasn't, quote, liked and accepted very well in the family at the time um, from certain family members. And so I was kind of like trying to sit back and not get too involved because I was trying to find out what my place was. And I saw them getting frustrated with you that you weren't being more emotional, like emotional. Them. Yeah. And then I was like, I wish you all could see that he's had moments of like being real and breaking down with me. But then it was like, I mean, what do I say? Come to the rescue and try and prove like you can't say you're, anything. you're, your son or your brother or whatever now my husband is really he really is like a deep loving human being like quit trying to put this label on him and it was just like so interesting even for me to be in that role and so fresh in our marriage but uh, that's why like you know every year I think we just go a little bit deeper into that connection of how it how it's affected us and that really, I think, brings us to how we want to close this up today, and that is in the journey of life, we have to hide it, the heart it, and hope it, and really what it's taught us, and one of my favorite scripture verses, and one of our life guiding principles that I learned at 16, that I was not going to live life with regret, and that I wasn't going to allow death to be a fear tactic for me either but to take it to the other side is uh, the scripture Psalm ninety twelve. teach us to number our days O God that we may gain a heart of wisdom 
And ultimately, we don't, none of us know our days. None of us know how we will pass from this earth to our heavenly space. And, you know, whatever that looks like, teach us to number our days. And I believe God knows the number of our days from the from the moment that we're born, uh, I, I just, that's always something that I've believed in. And it's given me hope that I'm not going to live one day less than I was born and destined to live and that God's got my life in his hands and God's got this. And so I just live my best day ever, um, every day and try to do the best I can. And do I fail epically? Yes. Like there are some days where it's like, I go to bed and I'm like, Oh, I was not a good mom. I was not a good wife. This sucked. Okay, tomorrow, no regrets. What does this look like? And I think and even in the middle of the days, like those resets, I, I feel like <laughs> I'm challenged with them all the time. And your kids, like when you do have that level of communication and they're like, Mom, you're not being very nice right now. Or the mm-hmm. other day when I was actually in a good mood. Because <laughs> I'm like always in a good mood at work and I'm in my game mode. And it's kind of like what you're talking about. Like you're in your game mode yeah. and you're on your edge and like you know what you have to do. And then like for me when I come home, it's like I can be kind of like done with that and just now. And now be fierce. <laughs> and fix all the problems at home. <laughs> and it's like Corbell yeah. was like. Mom, I like I like this attitude. Like, can we see more of this? Wow. <laughs> it was like, oh gosh, like those sheer moments of reality hit you. But mm-hmm. you can only hope that we can learn from these life-changing moments of how to live day to day. And I, I love the story, although it's heartbreaking, but uh, of when your grandpa... Mm. Well, so I, another story when I was in college, my freshman year, I, I had one night where I just could not sleep and I kept thinking about my grandpa and he, we weren't really very close, but I always admired him because he was my dad's dad and I always wanted to be close to him, but never really was. And, um, the next day I, I either called my dad or my dad called me and I said, you know, it's something going on with grandpa. He said, uh, why do you say that? I said, I couldn't sleep. I was thinking about him all night. I just couldn't sleep. And he said, well, the reason I'm calling you is that he's he's got cancer and he's going to die very soon. And I thought, huh, that's weird. So uh, long story short, Kelsey and I went over there and we, or no, this was way before that. Sorry, it wasn't you. <laughs> it was by, I was by myself. I'm sorry. I was 18. I went over there and I saw my grandpa and he, um, he couldn't even talk at that point. He had cancer so bad and he had a tumor the size of a tennis ball in his brain and, and it was in his lungs and liver and everywhere. It was bad. But he, he said, uh, I said, Hey grandpa, how you doing? And he couldn't talk. And my dad said, do you know who this is? And he said, yes, yeah, my ball player. And he had watched me play a couple of games and over the years, I was a baseball player. I loved baseball. And I remember one specific day where he was there for a doubleheader and I hit two home runs in that doubleheader as a 13 year old kid playing with a bunch of 17, 18 year old guys. And he thought that was pretty cool. Um, but the crazy thing is after he died at his funeral, um, I found out that he had been a triple a 
baseball coach in, for the majors in Illinois. And I had no idea. And all these guys were there that had played for him. And he never one time told me anything about him playing baseball or being affiliated with baseball in any way, shape, or form. Mm. And I remember distinctly thinking, why did I not know? A, like my greatest passion in that point in my life was baseball and hunting. And he had never once spoken anything into either one of those things, knowing that that was my passion. And I, I just thought, that is crazy. I would never want to die mm-hmm. with my family, not knowing anything about me. And and now, reflecting on that, it's like when I, I put myself in that position of 86 years old and being surrounded by family, and I want them to know something about me. I want them to know that I have... Everything. Yeah, that, not necessarily everything about me, but I want them to know that whatever interests them interests me and because uh, they are interesting to me because I love them that I'm going to speak life into whatever they're interested in whether that's baseball football racing cars whatever I don't care writing a book whatever it is I want my family to know that I'm interested in them because they're interesting to me and I love them and I didn't feel that for my grandpa and it was so weird to meet all these baseball players that said he was such a great coach he was an amazing guy and I came all the way out here from Tennessee Illinois wherever they were these guys were all old you know in their 60s and 70s and and I thought how strange is this that the majority of the people here are people I never heard of never met never had a clue that he coached and they have all these photos and memories that he never spoke of this is odd to me. This is not normal. Is this not normal? 100% odd. Yeah. Not normal. Not normal. Like, if I had been a AAA baseball coach for the majors in Illinois, I would tell my grandkids, hey, guess what? I know how to throw a knuckleball. I know how to throw a curveball. I know how to throw a fastball. Can I help you? Yeah. Can I guide you? Let's talk baseball. He watched me hit two home runs and never told me anything. He never diagnosed my swing. Why not? Why not? Why did he not say, hey, if you want more power, you should do this with your hips or this with your hands? Why didn't he say that? He was a AAA coach. Hide it. Hide it. Let's hide it. I think what we realize there, too, is that it's not just hiding the things that are hard, (coughs) but hiding for whatever reason the passions and the strengths and the joys and and the things that bring you alive, that is so important that your family and your, not just your media, but, you know, grandkids, what, whatever it may be, that your family knows, I think was such a crazy thing with this COVID thing that, um, what was it? How much percent of people didn't even know what their spouse's job consisted of? It was like 65% didn't know what their spouse did on a daily basis until COVID job. hit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they didn't know. What? They had no idea. What are people doing? <clears throat> right. So I think, you know, it's just interesting. Life is interesting. And the more that we can connect with people and and be real, like that is truly our heart is just to be real. There is, it's not labeling it. It's not writing and wronging it. It's not shaming it. It's not diagnosing it. It's just opening up, being real 
and not feeling like you have to hide it and not just hiding the hard, but celebrating everything about you. Like let's all just become just communicating, connecting with people. And more than ever, people need to feel connected. They need to feel noticed. I mean, that's always been the need of the humans is that's why people make such a bold statement to be noticed. Like your family, let's notice each other. Let's, let's make a bold statement about noticing the good and, and, and asking the questions that, that show like, what was hard for you today, Preston? Or what, what were you tempted to not face today? Or what moment in your day to day did you realize something new about yourself? Like some of those questions. And I remember even when we first started dating, I had a small little book because I was always such a like deep thinker. I'm like, you know, I think you all know that by now, even just with the short number of podcasts we have that I, that we like to discuss deep things. And when we first started dating, we went on a road trip and I was so excited. We were going on a road trip because I was like, Oh, we're going to be in the truck and I could just ask him all these questions. <laughs> and so I bought this book of like life's greatest questions for uh, like spurring on conversation. And I would get these <laughs> one liner answers and you're like, it's okay that we, we don't have to talk the whole time. And I was like, <laughs> I just want to talk. I just want to know you. I just want to like, and I mean, that's, that now is something that I think you've come to value that, you know, that that's how we connect. Well, we, yeah, so I love the, the time we get to actually do these podcasts because it's one-on-one you know, uninterrupted time that is so hard to get with six kids in our busy careers. But it was something that I had to develop. I, I honestly, I, when I grew up, I didn't know it was okay to share my feelings. I had no idea that it was mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was okay to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was okay to feel hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's been a lifetime of learning for me. Yeah, you've had the crash course. And that's something that we just encourage you to think about as we go through this journey of hiding it, hiding it, hoping it, and what that looks like on you're all home fronts of connecting with your spouse, connecting with your children, you know, asking maybe those hard questions. And maybe you are in a hard situation in life. Maybe you do have a sick family member and you're, you're wanting to pull something of deeper value and connection and just let that person know you genuinely care about hearing their story. And that's, you know, if if I could spur you on to a deeper challenge at all, it would be to go to a nursing home. I mean, when the doors open and they let you come in, but to go to a nursing home and ask their story that I, there's nothing that lights me up more. It's so odd, but that makes me smile from the deepest place in my heart to go to the the nursing home and ask I just ask him tell me your story tell me your story and they are so excited that somebody wants to hear their story and you would be amazed and I love bringing our 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 kids and little ones and they listen and they they learn history through story and it's a great way to continue to bring to light the story this the art of storytelling go to a nursing home listen to somebody's story today open up a new story, a new conversation at home. And until next time, keep the fire burning hot.
pot. Thank you for joining us on today's Our Firesides podcast. We hope that you walk away with some challenges and also some connections to your story and also ways to listen to other people's story. We all learn and we all grow through story. May you continue to share your story and listen to others and dive deeper into communication and connection with your community. We look forward to hearing from you as well at our firesides email which is mercer at our firesides we look forward to hearing from you with any questions ideas suggestions or perhaps a comment or two on what you would like to hear more of or even less of as we continue to serve you and supply you with ways to connect deeper to your story and help you in the journey of learning through story